Thank you, Beth and Charlie. I'm so thankful to get to sing that song in corporate worship. It's, it really is one of my favorite songs. And when I discovered it, I discovered it on YouTube in a music video. I didn't own the song. And the music video is guys on a, f- a, what's a, f- a merry-go-round riding on horses up and down playing trombones. And it was, it was so dizzying. And I just like turn it on and like hide it so I could sing it. And so uh, I like Charlie's version much better. Especially that guitar part. Yeah, thank you. Well, during the month of January, I've been devoting a portion of our secondary services, that is, uh, our Sunday night time together and then our Wednesday night time together, I've uh, been devoting those times to talking about the practice of Bible intake. There's much to say about this, at least, at least I think, and uh, I'm really trying to be transparent about my goal, namely to encourage you to give serious attention this year, particularly right now, to give serious attention to the amount of time and the effort that you put into your Bible reading. As a new year approaches, or is here, at the beginning of the new year, we traditionally take time to evaluate our lives and and our habits and our practices and our disciplines. And and so I think this is a a good time to take stock of of Bible reading together. Uh, The next couple weeks I'll be away during this time, so next week Joel will be preaching, so y'all can be be praying for Joel. And then the next week, uh, Brother Benny will be be preaching and serving us, so y'all be praying for them, and and I'm looking forward to uh, for them to have that opportunity, and for you to have the opportunity uh, to hear the word from these men. But uh, tonight is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to continue talking about some of what I talked about last week. And so let me just open us now in prayer and, and then we will uh, continue. Father, we, we ask that in our lesson tonight that you would speak to us. I pray that each person here would be struck by something about your beauty, something about your glory, something about the preciousness of your word something about the sinfulness of sin and the glory of the gospel. Let each one of us leave here changed. Lord, we're we're so prone to hearing your word and just leaving it. We are so prone to looking into the word and its mirror and seeing our reflection and then doing nothing about it. Let that not be true tonight. Let us leave here with encouragement and hope and faith that would overflow into a great variety of fruit for your kingdom. Lord, what we have just sung is true. This is not primarily about us and our fruitfulness or how effective we are as students of the Bible. It's about your glory. So I pray that tonight your will would be done in this time together. So we ask this in your name. Amen. Last week, we were talking about, both on Wednesday and on Sunday, we were talking about the Community Bible Reading Journal, the tool that you've heard me talking about pretty much every chance I get uh, this year. And it's a discipleship tool that's designed to help you enjoy fellowship with God and to enjoy community with His people as you read the Bible. 
And we're going to keep talking about that on Sunday nights. Uh, and if you're not using a journal, that's fine. Um, as long as you have some practice in place where you are regularly reading the Bible in such a way that you're being fed. That you're being fed. That you're taking away something from it. I, I really do think that there is a special advantage to reading the Bible with other believers. There's so many reasons for this, but we're held accountable for it. Has anyone besides me been more inclined to read the scriptures because you know that you're going to be sharing with someone else? I, I, I have, and I'm thankful for that. It's also for encouragement, being encouraged as you see other people striving. I was just talking with one brother today who, who didn't do his reading yesterday, but he did his reading today, and he said, I stuck with it. And I was so encouraged by that, to, to see God working in his life, and it encouraged me to persevere when it's hard for me. We also began last week talking about several of the benefits of Bible reading. I think that we need to consider these over and over again, not only because there are so many of them, but because they encourage us to read the scriptures. I'm convinced that one of the most important things that you can do in your walk with the Lord and growing as a disciple is to cultivate the habit of regular, meaningful Bible intake. And I want to try to help provide practical ways to do that. If you're a believer, then these benefits should encourage you. If you're not a believer, you're probably going to find the Bible is usually a little bit dry. And you need the Spirit of God to illuminate the Scriptures for you so you can see Him in His Word. These benefits that we're going to talk about tonight, I think I have three, or I don't, I don't remember, two or three or four. Uh, they should give you, I hope, motivational energy. That you can store away, right? Are, are there ever times where you eat enough food one day so that you can live on that food for the next day or like the next week? Anybody, anybody do that over Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, right? Did you eat a sufficient amount of calories to last you for three days? Maybe. I don't know, right? Well, that's what, that's what I hope that tonight is for is that you would store away encouragement that you can use tomorrow morning when your alarm goes off, perhaps 20 minutes earlier. Encouragement that you can use perhaps tomorrow night when you come home from work and you sit down to dinner with your family and you finally get the kids to bed and you just want to sit on the couch, turn on Netflix and eat your Cracker Jacks or whatever. I pray that this encouragement would propel you to spending time in God's Word and we'll trust Him to produce fruit. That's what he does. His word does not return void. It always accomplishes its purpose. So far, we've seen, and this is by way of review, uh, in terms of benefits of reading the Bible, we've seen that we read the Bible in order to know God. We read the Bible in order to know God. The Bible is the word of God. It is breathed out by him. It is the way that he has chosen to reveal himself. If you think about going on a date with someone, right? For most of us, that's a long time ago. But you revealed yourself in a variety of different ways. You'd always, you know, put your best foot forward, or maybe you flossed for the first time in three weeks, or right. And you would you would tell things about yourself, and you know, and, and that sort of thing. Well, this is what God is telling us about Himself. It's revealed to us 
in his word. If you want to know God, you must consider what he has chosen to reveal. This happens through Bible reading. We also saw, secondly, that we read the Bible to sustain and strengthen our spiritual life. We'll pick up on this in a good bit of detail tonight. But we read the Bible to strengthen and sustain our spiritual life. You remember Jesus quoting from Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That same text that he was quoting in Deuteronomy is where we are told God's word is not a trifle. It is not a trinket. It is not a book that you dip into flippantly and, 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 and act as if it was not important. God's word is our very life. Cars were designed to run on gas. Cows were designed to run on grass. But you were designed to run on Bible. For many of us, as we've said before, our spiritual lives are no more than a tiny spark waiting to be fueled by God's word. Yes, there may be some heat there, but that flame is so much smaller than God intends for it to be. We just had as a Christmas gift from Haley's parents, gas logs installed in our house, which is very exciting. Especially for our two-year-old who's, Daddy, there's fire in the house. Daddy, there's fire in the house, right? And it's got a pilot light that's lit, right? And I was explaining to Karis this morning, I was trying to explain how this works. Like we, the pilot light, that's the flame, but then when they would turn on the gas, that's when it lights. So many of us are a pilot light waiting for gas to flood into our lives so that we can ignite in fruitfulness. We read the Bible to sustain and strengthen our spiritual lives. Well, tonight I want to add a couple additional benefits for Bible reading. This next one is very closely related to the previous one. Just as we read our Bibles to strengthen our spiritual lives, we also read the Bible to strengthen our faith. To strengthen our faith. I should probably warn you, there's a lot of different texts here tonight. We're not in one primary spot, so I'll tell you, especially when you need to turn, but you may have to listen as I read some of these. We read the Bible to strengthen our faith. Have you ever wondered why you need God's Word to live? Why is it that the Word sustains our spiritual life? Right? If, you, if you buy into what I'm saying from last week, that God's word sustains our spiritual lives, have you ever wondered why? Like, why exactly is Bible reading so helpful? I think it can be tempting for us to kind of think it's like, you know, it's kind of like magical. Right? We wouldn't say magical. That's not a spiritual word. But it's magical, right? It just, you hear the words, they kind of wash over you, and bam, you have a better day or something like that, right? That's, that's, not, how, that's not how God's word works. The reason that the Bible sustains your spiritual life is because the Word produces faith. The Word produces faith. Listen to the words from John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. These things are written that as you believe, you have life. 
the words, the what is written is written for life. Or why else would Paul say in Romans chapter 10, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. How do you get faith? How, how, can, how can faith be born? Where does it come from? How does it grow? Through the word of Christ. Just as that same faith that begins our life in Christ, when we first hear the gospel, it is that same faith by which we must keep on living as we hear the word of God. The Bible sustains spiritual life because the Bible produces faith. Okay, now I know that's all Bible talk and kind of church words, so let's, let's, let's make it real practical. Do you lack the faith you need to endure in your hard marriage? Read the Bible. Do you lack the faith to give up some sinful pleasure, fearing that you'll be left empty? Read the Bible. Do you lack the faith to endure some difficulty you're facing with joy? Read the Bible. Let's take that last one as an example. Joy. Joy. You realize that you are commanded to have joy. Did you know that? It's a command. Be joyful. Paul put it like this in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. In case you miss it, I'll say it again. Rejoice. We are commanded to have joy. Okay, so I wake up tomorrow morning, not very joyful. What do I do? Be joyful. Oh, that's, that's exactly right, Charlie. Get in. All right? Do I just tell myself, be joyful? You're supposed to be joyful, right? You talked about it last night. Be joyful, be joyful, be joyful. You can't just, I can't just produce it myself. Where does it come from? How is that sustained? You can't find joy without faith, and you can't find faith without Bible. Open in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Let's look at, let's look at an example of how this works. Romans 15, 13. So we're trying to look at the connection between Bible, which produces faith, which can produce joy. Bible, faith, joy. Romans 15, 13. Maybe I should turn there. Okay, Romans 15, 13. Look at these words carefully. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You see that prepositional phrase? In believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Do you see that? The joy... Being filled with joy comes in believing. The joy-faith connection. We've already seen that faith comes from hearing God's word. And now we're seeing how that faith, that believing, can produce joy and peace. The only way to sustain your joy in dark times, whether that whether that's means that you're at home sick with three kids, like my wife was just a few, a few weeks ago, or whether it is a dark night of the soul where life seems bleak. Or whether it's a financial trouble or a relationship 
struggle, or perhaps you're even standing at a graveside, the only way to obey Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 in the midst of those struggles is Bible-born faith. The only way for your joy to be created and sustained is by this Bible-begotten, Bible-born faith. If you wonder why you don't have it, it is because your faith is lacking. How comforted were we this week when we read, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Can we not relate to that? Well, you want more belief? You get it from hearing the word of God. I read a great testimony of the power of the word to, to create and then sustain faith. It's in the story and the conversion and the execution of a man by the name of Tokichi Ichi. We'll go with it, right? Y'all don't know any better than me. Why do I? Why do I care? Except I won't remember how to say it next time. Tokichi Ichi. He... <laughs> I-C-H-I-I, Ichai, Ichi, we'll go with it, you'll remember him. Ichi, this is a man who lived in Tokyo in 1918 who was eventually hung, hanged for murder. He had been sent to prison more than 20 times before and was known in that culture for being as cruel as a tiger. On one occasion, after attacking a prison, a prison official, he uh, was gagged and bound and his body was suspended in such a way as a punishment that his toes barely reached the ground. But Itchy stubbornly refused even to say that he was sorry for what he had done in beating the guard. He was sentenced to death, and just before being sentenced to death, Tokichi was sent a New Testament by two Christian missionaries. Two ladies, single ladies by the name of Miss West and Miss McDonald. After a visit from Miss West, Tokichi began to read the story of Jesus, especially his trial and his execution, and his attention was riveted by that sentence where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That sentence transformed his life. I'm reading his words now. He said, I stopped. I was stabbed to the heart as if by a five-inch nail. What did this verse reveal to me? Shall I call it the love of the heart of Christ? Shall I call it his compassion? I do not know what to call it. I only know that with unspeakably, with an unspeakably grateful heart, I believed. Tokichi was later sentenced to death. And upon receiving this sentence, now as a Christian, he accepted it, and these are his words, as the fair and impartial judgment of God. Now this is where we begin to really see how the Bible brought him faith how it gave him life and how it sustained his joy. It produced and sustained a joy that was enduring even till the end. Near the end of his life, Miss West, the missionary, came back and directed him to the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8, concerning the suffering of the righteous. The words of the text moved him very deeply, and I wrote, and he wrote, I quote, As sorrowing 
yet always rejoicing. People will say that I must have a very sorrowful heart because I'm daily awaiting the execution of a death sentence. But this is not the case. I feel neither sorrow, nor distress, nor any pain. Locked up in a prison cell, six feet by nine in size, I'm infinitely happier than I was in the days of my sinning, when I did not know God. Day and night, I am talking with Christ Jesus, as poor, yet making many rich. This certainly does not apply to the evil life I led before I repented, but perhaps in the future, someone in the world may hear that the most desperate villain that ever lived repented of his sins and was saved by the power of Christ so that he may also come to repent as well. Then may it be that though I am poor myself, I shall be able to make many rich. Where did he? He had no benefit of Sunday school, no vacation Bible school, did not hear the word of God preached, He did not engage in a discipleship group. Where did this man, this murderer, gain this kind of joy? Why don't we have it? Where does it come from? The Word. The Word which gave him life, sustained his life until the end. And when his time came, he went, he walked to the scaffold, and with, hum, with a humble spirit and with meekness, his final words were these. I quote again, My soul purified today returns to the city of God. Where in the world do you get that kind of faith? If you want to be a spiritual giant, you've got to eat like a bodybuilder. You need thousands and thousands of Bible calories. And then you need to be trained by hardship. And then you'll grow up from an anorexic leaf flapping in the wind into a strapping man of faith who can endure the pressures of suffering and persecution. Or if we were to use the language of Psalm chapter 1, if you delight in the law of the Lord, and if you meditate on his law, how often? Day and night, you won't be blown away like wind, like the chaff, but you'll be more like an old ancient oak tree, planted with roots that are deep, drinking from the stream of water, prospering. Read the Bible to strengthen your faith. Read the Bible that your roots may grow deep so that you won't be blown away when the wind comes. Closely connected to this benefit is another benefit. So that if we're combining last week and this week, this would be number four. If not, this point number two. Read the Bible to gain hope. Read the Bible to gain hope. Is there something in your life that you're discouraged about? You need hope. Well, where do you get that hope? Oprah has been in the news this week. Perhaps you've noticed. What would Oprah tell us to do to get hope? She would tell us, think 
positively. Believe in yourself, right? Create your own hope. You yourself are your hope. That doesn't work very well. At least I haven't figured out how to do it. If you've ever tried to do this, I mean, does it work? Do you just pull yourself up out of your discouragements? That doesn't work. And you don't have to do that. Let's instead listen to the Apostle Paul about where we are to find hope. Listen carefully. This is also Romans 15, verse 4, so you're close. Yeah, let's turn there. Romans 15, Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Okay, let's, let's look at this text. You've got to find these words yourself. They're way more powerful when you see them than just hearing them from me. The purpose of the scriptures, according to this verse, is to instruct us. They were written, whatever was written, was for our instruction. Okay, so we learn, we are instructed from the scriptures. This is how you are to live. This is, includes not only God's commands, but also his provisions, right? You're commanded to be joyful. Where do you find that joy? He tells us that as well. But the text also says that it is to produce hope. Do you see that? That through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. My wife loves to uh, take clauses from the scriptures and put them in mathematical formulas. So if you're in the Sunday night women's Bible study, you see her doing this all the time. You're always writing these equations down. So I hope she'll be proud of me for this one. Let's put it like this. You take Bible and you add endurance, you get hope. Bible plus endurance produces hope. Life is hard. I don't care what your financial situation is. I don't care how great your marriage is. It's hard. The moments that are easy are so short, aren't they? They are so few and far between. How is it that we are to endure and flourish? How can we find that kind of life? And how do we do so with joy? Is the trick to get enough money or enough control over whatever thing in your life you're trying to get control over so that you can make your problems go away? That's a fool's errand. Rather, Bible plus endurance equals hope. That's faith. Often the Bible uh, equates hope and faith as synonyms. Right? Faith, Hebrews tells us, is the assurance of what? Things that are hoped for. It's looking ahead in hope with confidence that things will be a certain way. So think about how that works as you're reading the Bible. As you read the Bible, your faith grows. It is strengthened, right? To pick up on the bodybuilder meta, uh, metaphor, right? You're, you're strengthening your faith muscles. As you read the Bible, your faith grows. God opens your eyes by his spirit to see who he is and how he works. Right? This is why reading the Bible just to get a bit for yourself as if, as if you were the point, that's why it falls short. We read the Bible to know who God is and what he is doing and how he works. And you come not only to know that he's working all things together for good, but you come to believe it. 
and to be confident in it so that when you face a difficulty, you have hope, confidence. You come not only to know that his, in his presence is the fullness of joy, as the Psalms instruct us, but also you come to believe it when you taste it. This enables you to endure. It's faith that produces the ability to actually endure in your difficulties, to look past and through them, whatever they may be, and have assurance, to have hope, and to have faith. That even in my problems, God is good and God is working. And right now, I know that my circumstance will turn out for my deliverance. I just don't know how because I'm not God. So I can be full of joy and hope. Does that sound like a depressed person? I don't think so. That's hope. So often what keeps us from plopping down in total desperation in front of our Bibles... We've all, I mean, we've got problems, right? And you probably, I would, I would guess, most of you believe what I'm saying. But why is it that we don't throw ourselves and sit down in front of the Bible and stay there until we get help? Right? Why don't we do that? I think the reason for that is we're so desperate for hope, we're looking for hope in other places. We want that quick hit and the world has its offerings. Here's, here's how it works. You have some unpleasant experience. Mild, major, anything in between. This unpleasant experience produces negative feelings. Discouragement, boredom, despair, anxiety, fear, weariness, melancholy, laziness, what, whatever. And so, you look for something to pick you up. Something to make you feel a little bit better. But here comes the rub. Where do you go? Where do you go? Where do you go to get recharged? To get picked up? Where do you go to find what you need to face tomorrow? Is it food? Do you use food to take the edge off? What about distraction? Some dumb but novel thing on the internet? Or do you maybe blow off steam by criticizing someone or, or yelling at someone? Where do you go? What do you do? You see, wherever you go, that's where you're placing your hope. That is your functional Savior. We see all these other little Saviors, all these other little gods, these idols... They're empty. They can't satisfy. So you end up feeling depressed again and hopeless again. So what do you do? Well, you go back to another idol, right? Turn back to the same bowl of ice cream or the same show. And the cycle starts all over again. You see, humans can't live without hope. But hope is only found in the person of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. John Piper puts it well on this point. He says, The whole Bible has this aim and this power, to create hope in the hearts of God's people. And when hope abounds, the heart is filled with joy. We have another benefit from reading the Scriptures. I think this is the last one. We read the Bible to be delivered from enslaving sin. 
Read the Bible to be freed from enslaving sin. It's not possible to be happy if you're enslaved. Right? It's not, it's not possible to be truly happy if you're not free. If you're enslaved to something. Freedom is necessary for joy. How could anyone be happy if he was enslaved to what he hated and unable to enjoy what he loves? This is why Jesus was so often concerned with freeing his people. You remember the prophecy that he said he fulfilled in Luke chapter 3? He came to break free, break captives free from bondage. To deliver us from the bondage of sin. And the Bible is part of this deliverance by providing it for us. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Set you free. Free from what? Free from what? Your Your problems? Your circumstances? Clearly, Jesus was not talking about political situations or any other type of physical freedom. He's referring to freedom from the bondage of sin. You see, just as Israel was freed out of Egypt and slavery in Egypt to go worship in the wilderness, so too are we freed for worship, for holiness. And this freedom comes, Jesus tells us, through knowledge of the truth. In other words, another way to put it is you and I are sanctified, that is, we are made holy by the Bible. John chapter 17, when Jesus was famously praying for us, he said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Practically, there are a number of ways we see this in the scripture. Are we not told that the sword of the Spirit is what? The word of God? I mean, what better way to fight off the efforts of your old, annoying slave master? Satan, and by slashing and dismembering his lies, schemes, and temptations. One of my favorite ways to think about this, which I think is most practical and most helpful, is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Perhaps you would turn there with me now. 2 Peter 1, verse 4. is one of my favorite ways to see how this works. 2 Peter 1.4 says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God has given us the promises of the scripture to free us, to escape from the corruption of the world so that we can enjoy God's nature. And these precious, these very great promises, they have power to do that. Through them, we are sanctified. That is, through these promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. That's how the scripture works. As you believe in the promises of God, sin loses its grip on your life. Have you ever experienced that? 
As you believe in the promises of God, sin loses its grip, its power over you, and that produces freedom. Let's take an example. Say you are being tempted to love money and all the comfort it brings. That could be through coveting. I remember several years back, I I struggled with a, a specific type of temptation where when I would drive through big neighborhoods, like big house neighborhoods, I would get really sad. And I couldn't put my finger on it until one day I realized, it's because I don't like my house. I want that house. And I'm sad because of it. I'm depressed because of it, right? And so what does the Bible say to do about that? How can I be free from that entangling sin? You say that you're thinking about life with that new product, that new gadget, that new outfit, that new house. But then, let's say, you remember a promise, a precious, very great promise, perhaps. Promise of the Lord. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you think, okay, wait a minute. Why do I want this so bad? Why am I sad that I don't have this? Why do I feel cranky and depressed? And Why can't I stop looking at this on the internet? What's going on here? Could I be trying to fill some void in my life? But how could there be any void if I have Jesus? That doesn't make sense. That's the exact formula that the writer of Hebrews gives to us. To break the power of materialism and money and covetousness and debt. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Did you hear that? The command, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Okay, that feels like a burden to me because I struggle with that. That's hard. Okay, be content. Does that help? Right? He tells us how. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you believe that promise at the end of that verse, you will find that it breaks the power of materialism and covetousness and money-related depression. Don't you see? As you believe the precious promises of the word, the enslaving shackles of sin turn to water. They lose their power. God's word frees us from the power of sin. In conclusion, if I could just take a moment and speak to the husbands who are here. If we take what we've talked about tonight, let me remind you, The scriptures say that we as husbands are commanded to do exactly what Jesus has done. To wash our wives in the water of the word. You hear that sanctifying language there? To use the scriptures not to beat our wives up, not to tear them down, not to tell them how bad they are, how much they're failing. But to wash them, to cleanse them in the water of the world, the water of the word. How in the world can you do this, men, if you're not a man committed to the regular intake of Scripture? When you see your wife struggling, what are you going to say? How are you going to wash her in the water of the Word? How are you going to help? Being critical or angry? Or holding out to her some promise that will perhaps 
take root in her heart that the power of sin be broken as she's reminded it. How can you wash your wife in the water of the word if you are not regularly washing in the water of the word? If you're not being sanctified and being continually washed by the word. I pray that these benefits tonight, the benefits that come from reading the scripture, will compel you to get into God's word, to apply it to your life. I'm going to close this in a time of prayer. And as we do, let's just have a brief time of, of reflection and prayer. Let's ask the Lord to work. I ask each person just to bow your head and close your eyes. And Perhaps you're here tonight and you hear all this and, and you would say, I just don't have much desire to read the Bible. Would you just silently ask God to give you a new desire? Perhaps you're here tonight and you've tried to read the Bible, but it seems so boring, so dull. Would you pray that God would help you see it as beautiful and exciting, sweet like honey, precious like silver? Perhaps you're here tonight and as you read the Bible, you just feel like you don't understand. You don't know what it means. Would you pray that the Spirit would give you illumination? Perhaps you're struggling simply to make time. Can't get up early enough. Can't remember to do it at lunch or in the evening. Would you ask that God would help you work out the details? Father, would you hear the prayers that are going up from your people? We want to know you. So, Father, would you reveal to us your Son? Reveal to us your beauty and your glory through your word. Help us to respond in worship, repentance, confession, praise, joy, and hope in all that we read and all that we see in the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us as we go, and we ask this in your name. Amen. You dismiss church. Go in peace.